lay hands on the ministers. And we're going to change the order in a few moments, but I, I never take that lightly because it's a, it's a holy thing. And when she said that, I, I just took a moment and was walking and asking the Lord what to do. And this just keeps coming up in me. When hands were laid on you, there was an empowerment to do something. But there was an empowerment to forget something. Because the enemy, not just your past, it can be, but where you feel like you missed it, where you feel, you got to forget those things. The Apostle Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing forward to those things that are ahead. Amen. Now, the Lord said something to me. He said, there are three things that you should never waste. And he said, first of all, never waste time. Then he said, never waste opportunity. And then never waste impartation. Time is involved in both of the second two. It takes time to operate in opportunity. It takes time to operate in impartation. If you waste time, you won't function in your opportunity. And if you waste time, you won't function in your impartation. That's why the Apostle Paul said this. He said, give yourself to what God's asked you to do with your life. He told Timothy, he said, give yourself wholly to that call. And someone may say, well, you know, but I'm working a job. I remember when the Lord began to deal with me about giving myself wholly to what he had called me to do. I was working a job. I was working a 10, 12-hour day every day. But the Lord laid on my heart to give myself wholly to him. And I'm not saying that you have to do this, but I just begin to fast and pray. I just begin to fast and pray and seek God and tell the Lord, the only thing that matters to me is what you've called me to do. That, that, that makes everything else right. And when there's a surrender to that calling and a surrender to that direction, it rectifies everything in my life. A surrender to the call of God on your life will fix your marriage. A surrender to the call of God on your life will fix things that can't seem to be changed. <laughs> because if it's the call of God on your life, you, you, you can't find the will out of the call. Amen. And I just gave myself to it. I don't know how else to say it. I just gave myself to it. And Lord, there are things that are more important to me than eating. And this is it. This is the call of God on my life. And so we just gave ourselves to it. And revelation started coming. Things begin to flow in our lives. Amen. And, and see, here's the thing. I stopped wasting time. And then God could bring opportunities. It was after that season that God brought the opportunity to pastor our church. Amen. Listen, here's the lady right here that made the phone call and told me they wanted me to come pastor the church. She sat in that first board meeting where I looked at the, the board and, the, and she's the one that asked me, do you have anything else to say? Or why should you be the pastor of this church? And I leaned back and I looked at her and I said, can I be honest with you? And she said, please. And I said, because if you make me the pastor of this church, you'll be in the will of God. And if you don't, you won't. And if you miss it, I'll just go on and do what God told me to do. She was in that board meeting. That, but that was a result. I, I look back. God could lead me. He told me to say that. He told me they're going to ask you, why should you pastor this church? And this is what you say. You understand? There's the opportunity. Now, I still didn't have an impartation. I thought pastors just preached. All you do is preach. Sweat flying. Preach. Spit on folk. That's what you do. 
Just preach hard, sweat and spit. Right? That's what I thought. But impartation started coming. Opportunity, time, opportunity, impartation. When the impartation came, the revelation came. I say, when the impartation came, the revelation came. My wife's telling me to preach. I really don't have anything to preach. It's good. You got it right there. Hallelujah. Come on in. Tell us how it works. Well, I hate to leave them little faith builders without their food today. Hallelujah. Bring them on in. Brother David said, come on in. Amen. Impartation. Time. You hear the statement, time is something you can never get back. And you can't. You, you can't. But here's what I'm learning more and more. Very often, we leave people with this impression that if you miss one opportunity, another one will come. It's not always true. I've got to be cautious because there's a time frame. The Bible talks about times and seasons. There's a time frame that God desires things to be done. I don't want to miss that time. The Bible says, do you remember when it says that uh, David was in the cave at Dulem? And when you read through... Uh, uh, Kings, it gives us a little insight. Chronicles gives us more in-depth. It actually numbers how many people came to David. You know, we think a few hundred. There were thousands that came to him. There, there were a few hundred in the cave. But do you remember it says that there were the men of Issachar? Just a few of them that had understanding of the times and seasons. And what Israel should do. What does that tell us? David needed understanding of the times and the seasons and what they should do. God will bring you to a church and bring you to a ministry and bring you on a, on a service that maybe you weren't planning to come to or you weren't even scheduled to be there or whatever the case may be. But it's a season that you should be there at that time. Why? Because there's an opportunity that will be followed by an impartation. Do you see this? Don't waste that. Don't waste that. When, when hands are laid on you, begin to seek God about how can I fulfill this? How can I walk this out? I got something. Now what do I do with it? What do I do with it? Amen. Do, do, do you see that? Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. So you got the ability to do something, but you got the ability to forget something. Hallelujah. Hmm. God can rectify your greatest failure if you'll choose to forget it. If you won't forget it, he can't change it. Because what I hold on to holds on to me. If I hold on to it, it holds on to me. And, and, and here's the problem with the past is there's always people that are willing to bring it up. Mm. What's the key there? You got to let it remain dead to you. Yeah, but I was saved when I did that. I know, but, but the, the, the Bible says that even if you were saved and you did something and you repented and you asked God to forgive you, that He cleansed you from all unrighteousness. It doesn't exist. And it's not just sin. It's 
failures. Maybe you didn't uh, take advantage of an opportunity. Maybe you didn't take advantage and strike when the iron was hot, if so to speak. Then ask God for another chance. Ask God for another chance. Don't, don't you remember? I know it's Old Testament, but don't you remember? There was a man that was mightily used by God, so mightily that he carried city gates off. He killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Nobody could defeat him under the anointing. And he got him in a place where he compromised his anointing. And what did he do? He sacrificed his opportunity, but he'd had the impartation. And they put his eyes out, cut his hair off, put him to grinding corn. But the Bible says his hair started growing again. Some of y'all, your hair is starting to grow again. It's starting to grow again. Hey, are you following me? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Do you see this? And they took him out and thought they'd make fun of him. Make jest of him. Put him in the temple of Dagon. But he said something, Lord... Let me feel your spirit just one more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now that's a shadow. That's a shadow of what can happen in the new covenant. If, if God could allow a minister, a judge of Israel, if he could fail that miserably, Yet at the end of his life, he was more anointed than he had ever been and accomplished more for God than he accomplished in all the years previous. Samson's anointing was to judge Israel and to defeat the Philistines. The Bible says that's why he was anointed, to defeat the Philistines and deliver Israel out of their bondage. Now he messed up. You can't deny that. But when he needed that anointing, it came on him. And the Bible says that he slew more Philistines in the last day of his life than he did all the previous years combined. Well, he killed a thousand at one time with a jawbone. Hallelujah. I don't know why the Lord has me here, but I'm telling you. It's not over. I say it's if you'll look in the oven, the bun's still there. The bell has not dinged yet. It's not over. Yeah, but I, I, I'm getting on up in age. It doesn't matter. Nobody in the Old Testament that ever did anything for God ever got anything accomplished before they were way past what we call middle age. God is not interested in your gender. There's only two, but He's not interested in if you're a man or a woman or black or white or Hispanic or old or young or big or little or fat or skinny or whatever your shape or whatever your, you may be. God says, I'm interested in somebody that will say, take my cup, Lord, and fill it up and make me what you want me to be. Just take my life and use it. Just take my life and use it. Hallelujah. 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 Just take my life and use it. Make me what I need to be. Make me what you've called me to be. Give me that tenacity. Give me that determination, that commitment, that ever what comes my way, I'm going to press in to what you have for me. Hallelujah. 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 Glory be to God. The Bible says that Saul had failed the Lord. And Samuel laid on his face all night before God, weeping. 
And the Lord finally said to him, Why are you weeping for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from being king over my people? Now think about this for a moment. Where did that stem from? Missed opportunity after missed opportunity. Don't sacrifice until I get there. And he went ahead and did it anyway. Right? Go and judge Amalek for what they did to my people when I came in. Don't, don't let any of them escape. What did he do? Brought the best back. That was, an, that, was, that, that was two opportunities to just do what God asked him to do. Just because we live under a covenant of grace does not mean that God doesn't expect us to do what he's asked us to do. About that, we have no choice. We have no choice. He said, fill your horn with oil and go. And go to Jesse's house. For I've what? I found me there a man after my own heart. He told Saul when, when he came back from, from Amalek, the Lord said, remember, he grabbed a hold of Samuel's garment and it ripped. And he said, the Lord's taken the kingdom from you just like this. And he's found him a man after his own heart. Now watch, opportunity. Call him. We're not going to sit down until he comes in. He comes in, he anoints him. Opportunity, opportunity, impartation and opportunity. David, eventually, you'll remember, he began to reign when he was 40 years old. He began to reign. But the Bible says there came a day when the king should have been at war. See, it's time. You can't waste your time. If you, if you give yourself long periods of time when you're not focused on what God's called you to do, the enemy will start playing there. i got to keep my mind. We, old folks used to sing a song, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. Amen. I, this was not planned. So you'll forgive me. But you remember the story. He was in bed <laughs> late in the day. Dr. Summerall used to tell preachers all the time, he said, you want to live right, get up in the morning, stay up. Get up early and stay up. Don't lay there and let your mind think wrong. Amen. And, and you remember the story. You remember the, the account. He saw Bathsheba taking a bath. I don't know what that's all about, but anyway, he could see it. <laughs> and what, what was the next natural thing? You can't play with things outside your call and expect them not to affect your call. I'm not talking about temptation. Temptation comes to everybody. But please don't forget this. The book of James says that a man or a woman is tempted when they are enticed by their own lust. There's got to be something there for me to be tempted with it. Everybody's tempted, but the Bible says God will make a way of escape. So there was a way of escape, but he went ahead and went through with it. You remember the story. Then I'm hurrying, and then he thought, I got to cover this up. So he killed the man's, the woman's husband. Wait a minute. I found me a man after my own heart. And he just committed adultery and murdered a man. Now think about this. Two times Samuel came to Saul. Why did you sacrifice? The people. Do you hear this? The people were getting restless. So I had to. I had to disobey God. Second time, 
I thought God told you to do this. I've done it. I've done the will of the Lord. What's this bleeding of sheep and what's this king doing here? The people wanted to bring the best back. What if Saul would have just said the first time, you are right. I missed it. I repent. What if he'd have fell on his face and said, God, forgive me. I got over, I got over thinking wrong. But he didn't. So Nathan shows up at the palace. See, you gotta, you, if, you, if you will learn to do this on your own, Nathan will never have to come to your house. People say, how do you know that? I've been there. If you ever run into a preacher that tells you he's never been tempted and never failed, run from him as fast as you can. He's a liar. Or she. Amen. And he told him the story. You remember the story, the parable. Rich man that had all the sheep he needed. Poor man that only had one. Rich man's guest came. Rich man took poor man's sheep. What David said, as sure as the Lord lives, this man will give his life. Nathan said, hmm, you're him. And then he went through and prophesied. I gave you all the wives of Israel. I gave you all the wives you could ever want. And yet you took this man's wife and killed him. And this is what's going to happen. What, what's the Bible say David did? Fell on his face and said, God against you only have I sinned. I thought he murdered a man. I thought he committed adultery. And he said, against you only have I sinned. Is that right? In the book of Psalms, it records his whole prayer. He said, purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Remove from me this blot. Right? When he got up off his knees, Nathan said, the Lord has heard your prayer and removed your sin from you. That was under the old covenant. Those were both infractions that were worthy of death. Hallelujah. But what did the Bible say God did? I've removed it from you. And if you'll read the Old Testament carefully, it, the Bible talks about Josiah. And it says there was no king, no king that served God so perfectly as Josiah other than David. And it says this, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, and Bathsheba. You hear preachers talk about how sinful David was and how many mistakes he made. Don't you believe it? Because the Bible says the only thing, the only thing God brought up in the Holy Scriptures was Uriah and Bathsheba. In other words, that's where David missed it. But he repented and God forgave him. You have the empowerment to do something, but you have the empowerment to forget something. I don't know what that's worth to you. Hallelujah. You know, one time, one time I missed God. And uh, I missed God on a midweek, Wednesday. People say, what would you do? Well, see, it's none of your business. It's suffice it to say I missed God. I got over in the flesh. Now, I didn't go slap somebody, cuss them out, right? And I just decided, Lord, I'm not ministering tonight. I'm pastoring a church. And the Lord asked me, you know, the Lord will play with you a little bit. And he said, well, who's going to minister? I said, Michelle. And he said, Michelle's pastoring the youth group. She don't have nobody to do that. I said, there's a gentleman at our church at the time named Tony. I said, Tony Mendez, somebody, not me. And he said this, why? I said, you know good and well why. <laughs> you know good and well why. And he asked me again. He said, why? I said, you know good and well why. 
And he said, did you repent? I said, yes, sir. He said, Philip, it is in bad taste to bring up to me what I have forgotten. That set me free. See, it doesn't have to be a big sin. It doesn't have to be a big failure. There are people in the sound of my voice, you've been praying and fasting about a failure. You don't fast for forgiveness. You receive forgiveness. You, you, you fast to put things in order. You fast to keep your flesh under. You fast to consecrate your life to the things of God. Not to, not to get God to do something. Your fasting doesn't move God. It moves you. Hallelujah. Say it out loud. I commit, Lord. I will forget everything I'm empowered to forget. And Lord, I'll set up any safeguards. I'll set up any barriers so that I don't fail in that area again. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Thank you, Jesus. You got 40 minutes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If you brought Fort Faith age children, we're going to release them right now to go to Fort Faith. And uh, we'll have an abbreviated service, but we're going to have a good time. Amen. Isn't God good? Hallelujah. And as you speak... And as you declare today, even in a shortened time, the women in your church will become prim, polished, and perfected. And it shall occur today. (laughs) Anointings will be drawn out of many. Inspiration, impartation, direction, and perfection. Today, you'll never be the same. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Praise God. Glory be to God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, the Lord is good. Thank you. Our time in prayer this morning before the service, we asked God to show his goodness to his people today, and I want to give formal recognition to him (laughs) that we're grateful for his goodness that he has displayed to us in his anointing and in speaking to situations and circumstances specific to areas of our life. We want to say thank you for each of you for flowing with us as we shift in, into the things that the Holy Spirit leads in those specific times. And um, thank you for being interested in what God has to say. Amen? Uh, I want to, in this few moments that we do have together, I want to talk about Uh, the pattern that God has set for us in his word concerning the name of Jesus. This is an area that we've talked about previously uh, in some weeks prior to the um, vision Sunday that we had last week. It is something that the Lord has me emphasizing and focused on. Uh, because I've, I see that this is a as, an aspect of our daily walk as believers that has to have an emphasis in our lives so that we can stay fresh in faith about it and not get over into tradition. And so uh, I want to actually begin uh, in... John in the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples before the cross because Jesus is dealing with some things 
that are going to be established for them differently than previous to this experience. When, when Jesus went to the cross, there was an establishing of specific operations that weren't available before. And we should give our attention to that because those are our operations. We operate in these things that he's telling the disciples to be prepared for. And so John chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So Jesus is, uh, is setting the standard, the mark, that we will be doers of his works, and even more in quantity. The word greater is a, a specific, uh, talking about quantity, greater works than these. Why? Because I go to my Father. That's the reason why we are the ones doing the work is because he is in his position at the right hand of the Father and he has delegated his authority to us on the earth because I go to my Father. So how are we to do the greater works? How do we operate? We've, we've talked about the greater works in some of our previous teachings. We have that available on the YouTube channel and the podcast. You can go back and listen to it. We talked about the fact that we are born again and we are anointed by the Holy Ghost. And so in the same pattern that Jesus was alive unto God and he was anointed. But notice he says here in verse 13, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is the key to doing the greater work. The reason the greater works are being done is because we are doing them as his representatives. We are doing them in his name. He said, whatsoever you shall ask. I want to talk about this word ask because if you put this only in a petition, you're going to miss the emphasis of the original language. In the original language, it is more strenuous of a word. It is more stringent of a word it is a word that means to be adamant in requiring to be adamant in requiring to call for require demand insist or claim that shines a different light on the word ask instead of jesus please <laughs> we're not asking him he said whatever you insist on Whatever you demand, whatever you require in that situation, whatever you claim in that situation, whatever you are adamant in requiring, that will I do. And how am I requiring it? In the name. It's like one of the people who are assigned in the armed forces and they're coming to... Uh, they are assigned specific, maybe uniforms or specific weapons, and they go up to receive the weapons from the, 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 the warehouse where they're being kept, and they have their form, and they're saying, I've been assigned this. This is to be delegated to me. I've come to claim it. I've come to bring it into my possession, right? So there are, this is the attitude. This is the, the emphasis that we need to have. I'm not asking in a petition where I am saying, Lord, please, if you will, I'm coming because I know his will. Yeah. I'm coming in this situation because I already know that this has been assigned to me. This has been delegated to me. I am delegated to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So I'm going to insist on that. I'm going to require that. When I lay hands on the sick, I'm going to require recovery. When I, when, I, when I pray for those who are bound, I'm going to require that they be set free. If I encounter a demon, I'm going to require that it be cast out. I'm, not, I'm insistent. When I, I went to translate this for Spanish, because I'm preaching some of the same things in Spanish, 
uh, the, one of the easiest way for me to find to, to d- define adamant was inflexible. I'm not moving off of this. I'm not, uh, I'm not backing down. I'm requiring this because I know it's the will of God, and I'm doing this not in my power, not in my authority. I'm here in his authority. This will happen. I'm here in his authority. I'm inflexible about the outcome of this situation. I require recovery. I, requ- I require this person to be set free. Why? Because whatsoever you shall require in my name, whatsoever you shall demand or insist upon in my name, that will I do. So that would disqualify a prayer that says, Lord, if it be your will. There's no demanding, there's no requiring, there's no faith. So the insistence, the firmness, the firmness of the request, the firmness of the, the, the demand. So investigate how Jesus prayed for people. We, we call it prayed for people, but he he didn't, he didn't lay hands on the man at the pool of Bethesda and, and pray, Father, heal him. He told the man to rise up, take up your bed, and walk. The man that they brought in, it said the power of the Lord was present to heal them in that house. And then the, the friends pulled the roof and let the man down. And he told the man, take up your bed and walk. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Right? He wasn't praying to God to please do something. He was requiring something. He was demanding something. He was insisting upon change that that man who had been let down through the roof, he was demanding that that man get up. And who made it happen? The father did. The Father did because Jesus was there in the Father's name. Who sent Jesus? The Father sent Jesus. And because he was sent by the Father, he was there in the Father's name. He says that in John chapter 17. I have, I, I've come in your name. So Jesus demanded things to happen and the Father did them. And, and it gave glory to the Father. So God's not put out or intimidated or offended when we say, Father, in Jesus' name. When we speak to a situation and command it to turn in Jesus' name. God's not sitting up there saying, who does she think she is? With all that that claiming and requiring. God wants us to know who we are. And he wants us to exercise the authority that he has delegated, and he will get all the glory. And that's what Jesus said. Whatever you shall demand, require, insist upon, claim in my name, I will do it. So let's see in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they didn't have 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They couldn't look and find the gifts of healings and the working of miracles and and say, let's just yield to the gift of the Holy Spirit and, and let's just let that gift of working of miracles have its operation. They didn't understand the working of miracles. They didn't understand the gifts of healings uh, brought about by the gifts of the Spirit of God because 1 Corinthians chapter 12 hadn't been written yet. But they had been in that conversation where Jesus had explained to them that they would do the same works that he did. And they had been in that conversation where he told them how they would do the same works that he did. And they remembered that Jesus gave us the right, the legal power, the authority to use his name. And so in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, 
was carried. How long had he been lame? Had he just been lame a year? Had he been lame maybe, maybe, maybe just, you know, five years? No, this man had been lame all of his life. He'd never walked. He'd never stood. He'd never, he'd never experienced the sensation of, of carrying his own weight on his legs. He had been lame from his mother's womb. And he had been carried daily to this gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. So he's open. He's expecting. He has a, an, a, 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 a willingness to receive from Peter and John. He thinks he's going to receive something monetary. He thinks he's going to receive something natural. But regardless, his willingness to receive is a part of the application. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. I give you. So Peter is saying, I possess something that I can give you. I do have something that I can impart to you. What I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up. Is he asking God? Is he praying to Jesus? No, he's requiring something. He's requiring something that this man in himself cannot do. He is requiring something that the, this man in his power is, un, is incapable. He is unable to respond in his self to fulfill this command, but the power is being delegated in the name. In the name is legal authority as much as if a person goes and has papers drawn up that gives them the legal authority to operate business for someone else. Power of attorney is what it's often referred to. That power of attorney gives that person the right to sign any checks, to withdraw money from a bank, that power of attorney, if it is a full authorized power of attorney, they can sell property in that person's name. They can buy property in that person's name. They can do whatever necessary business needs to be done for that person. And it would still be as if that person himself or herself is there doing the business. It is still their property, it is still their money, but it is under the authority of the one who holds the power of attorney for that person to administer the work of that business as a representative of that person. Jesus has given us the legal authority to do his business to do his work, to fulfill his work in the earth. The power of attorney, in it, all the authority and the, the, the legal uh, administration of power that is available to Jesus himself. As if Jesus was signing the check. As if Jesus was sending forth the finances in that area. As if Jesus was there calling for strength to come back into those bones. As if Jesus himself was there commanding those bones to be healed and those muscles to be formed and the strength to supernaturally enter into his ankles. It's as if Jesus was there himself. When you say in the name, in the name, that's the faith 
we have to have in that phrase. We have to develop such a force of faith, such a strength, such a a determination that when I say in the name of Jesus, all heaven is now ready to respond to what I'm calling for, to what I'm claiming, to what I am requiring. This was before they understood how the Holy Spirit worked in the anointing, how the Holy Spirit worked in the gifts of healings, in the working of miracles, they had the name. A woman who was closely working with Brother Hagen in the healing ministry, Annie Durant, she's been here and ministered to us before. She worked with Brother Hagen on the road when he did healing crusades as well as in healing school. And she said that when uh, that Brother Hagen told her, if you can't get anybody healed, with the anointing, if, the, if they won't receive of the anointing, because you can pray for someone under the anointing and the anointing to go into them and come right back out. You can pray for someone and they receive the anointing and then leave the service and begin to say, well, I guess it didn't work because of how I feel, and, th- and they will begin to lose what they received under the anointing. So he said, even if there is something hindering you from operating under the anointing, or, or and the ministry of healing, you can always pray in the name of Jesus. She said for the first year of her ministry, she said the Lord told her to establish that in her ministry. And she said for the very first year, and she has a healing, that's the emphasis on her, her ministry because Brother Hagen had imparted into her what had been imparted to his hands. He put his hands on her and she would pray with him in his services. And she continues now, even to till today, in that ministry. But she said the Lord told her, establish that in the very beginning of your ministry. She said for the first year, she didn't pray for anybody under the anointing and she didn't pray under the, uh, the gifts. She said, I always, I prayed all that first year in the name of Jesus and I got people healed with Jesus' name because she wanted that to be, the Lord wanted her to have that established in her life. We need to make this our emphasis. I want to have established in my life the authority that is mine in the name of Jesus. This is what the disciples have. They had the name of Jesus. They said, such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus. And when he made this command, this declaration, this demand, it says he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Hallelujah. He received by the name. What this man encountered, what he experienced, came to him by the name. Now look at C in chapter, uh, same chapter, chapter 3, verse 16, because the people were so astounded that they came shocked because they knew this man. They'd seen him all of his life at the gate. They'd watched him grow up at that gate, lame, all of his life. And now they are shocked, and Peter is explaining, it's not us. We didn't do this in ourselves. Verse 16, he identifies exactly how this man was made whole. It says, he, he's preaching about Jesus, and in verse 16 it says, and his name through faith in his name. Faith in this ma- name Faith in Jesus' name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith that is by him has given this man perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So it says faith in his name. Well, the man didn't have faith in the name. He was expecting to receive money. 
He was expecting to receive a donation. He wasn't there with strong faith in the name. Who had faith in the name? The one who'd been given the name. The one who'd been delegated the name. The one who was assigned to operate in the name. It was Peter's faith. It was John's faith in the name. They had been present when Jesus had declared to them, In my name, whatsoever you require, whatever you demand, whatever you insist upon adamantly, inflexibly, firmly, whatever you demand and claim, I will do it. And it was faith in Jesus' name that caused them to put their hands on this man and pull him up. Why? Because I've already released faith in the name. And the strength has hit your bones. And the strength has hit your muscles. And the strength is in your joints. And so I'm going to pick you up. You're getting out of here. Amen? Faith in his name has made this man strong. What else did it do? It gave him perfect soundness. Faith in the name made him whole, made him strong, and gave him perfect soundness. And why? Look at chapter 4. They asked him in verse 7, when they had set him in the midst, they said, by what power or by what name have you done this? How did he do this? By a name? They understood You've done it by some power or by somebody's authority. By what name have you healed this man? By what name? And they said in verse 10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by this Even by him does this man stand here before you whole. So he was strong, he received perfect soundness, and he was made whole by the name. Verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is a is an inclusive word. Salvation means rescue. Salvation means restoration. Salvation means liberty. Salvation means wholeness, physically, financially. So when, when, when wholeness has its perfect work, you're not just going to be whole in your body, you're going to be whole in your finances that were, were depleted because of the sickness you were facing. They're going to be restored. Hallelujah. Whole, whole. Salvation is in the name. Wholeness is in the name. Strength is in the name. Liberty is in the name. Rescue is in the name. And you've been, it says, this name has been given. There's no other name that has been given to men. No other name's been given to men, but this name has been given. It's been given to me. It's been given to you. It's not given to the unsaved. The unsaved, they can call on the name and then that name will be given to them if they make him Lord. But to you and I who've made him Lord, to you and I who serve him as our king, as our Lord, as our Savior, as our Redeemer, that name is mine. That name has been delegated to me. That name has been given to me. When I entered into covenant with Philip Steele, he gave me his name. When I entered into covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, He gave me his name. He gave me his name. He gave me legal authority to operate his will and his purpose on the earth. Hallelujah. In the name. There's salvation in the name. There's strength in the name. There's perfect soundness in the name. Glory to God. This is the name we have been given. We've been given access to this name 
for our personal lives. And we've been given access to this name to fulfill the call and the purpose of God on our life. I'm going to close with John 15 and and we'll look at these two other statements that Jesus made in, in his conversation before the cross. John 15, and let's look at verse 16. He said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Every believer is called to be fruitful. Every believer is called to make progress. It's in your DNA. It's in your inheritance. You are called and ordained by God to be fruitful in your sphere of influence, in your area of life. What you put your hands to, God will bless the work of your hands. What you do for God, God is going to establish it. He's going to strengthen you in it. Amen? He's called you to bring forth fruit and fruit that remains. And then it has a colon. And when you see a colon, you find whatever's on the first side is being restated on the right side. So when he says you going and that you would make progress and bring forth fruit, fruit that remains, he says that another way to say that is that whatever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. That's how you're going to be fruitful. That's how you're going to have fruit that remains. Why? Because you are going to access the authority and the privilege and the use of the name of Jesus. This is God's design. If he didn't want you to have it, he would have given you a premarital form to fill out and sign off to say, okay, now I'm going to let you be saved. Uh, You know, they had those prenuptial agreements, right? A prenuptial agreement that says, okay, if we decide that we ever want to cut our, our, our losses and go our separate ways, you don't get any of my money. That's a pre- prenuptial agreement. Well, God didn't have one. He didn't require a, pre, a pre-covenant agreement with you that, that okay, uh, you, I'm going to let you have forgiveness of your sins, but you don't get to ask anything in my name. You don't get any signing privileges on my account. No, he said, we are in covenant, and I'm giving you the full authority of this relationship to have access. You know, as a matter of fact, I'm going to make you an heir. I'm going to give you full inheritance. I'm going to give you an equal portion and share with the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be a joint heir. So the same thing Jesus gets Yours matches his. The the same detailed inheritance and supply and provision and authority that Jesus has, you're in him. You're a member of his body. You get the same. Hallelujah. God wants you to ask him in the name of Jesus. He wants it. Why? Because if you ask in Jesus' name, you will get it. And God wants you to get it. We had a woman who was, this was about 12 years ago. She had come to pastor. She was uh, uh, battling something in her physical body. And, and she came and she told pastor I don't understand why God hasn't healed me. I keep all the Ten Commandments. I haven't broken any Ten Commandments. Her her mindset was, God should do it because I'm keeping commandments. Some people come to God And they want God to do it because they need it. You know, that's not the basis either. The basis of receiving 
is what Jesus has already done. The basis for receiving healing is the stripes that he already took. I don't have to get God to heal me. I have to position myself in line with what he's already done to heal me. Because God says, I did. I healed you when I laid those stripes on my son's back. By his stripes, you were healed. Healing now belongs to you. Go access it. By his poverty, you have been made rich. Go access that. He, he, he wants us to have it so much that he already put it in the supply. It's already there. He doesn't have to do it. He's already done it. We receive in the name. He said, whatsoever you shall require, require, whatsoever you shall demand, whatsoever you shall insist on, the Father will give it to you. Now let's drive it home and we'll, we'll, we'll close up here with chapter 16, verse 23. In that day, you shall ask me nothing. Had they been coming to Jesus with all of their needs? Did Peter come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what are we going to do? We've got to pay taxes. Jesus, uh, what are we going to do? Look at all these hungry people. We need to feed all these people. They came to Jesus when they needed the food multiplied. They, they came to Jesus when they needed uh, uh, they, whatever the situation was, the, the circumstance. He said, but you're not going to come and ask of me. You're not going to come and require of me. You're not going to come and put it in my position to supply it. Why? Because whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name. So before that, Jesus, let's take the multiplication of the food, the fish and the loaves. Jesus blessed it and he broke it. He blessed it. He presented it to God. He blessed it and then he began to distribute it. So God multiplied the fish and the loaves in Jesus' hands, right? But Jesus is saying, you don't need to bring it to me. You need to do what I would do. You do the same thing you saw me do. You go to the Father, and, you, and the Father, what, whatever you request, whatever you demand, whatever you insist on, whatever you claim, whatever you require, to the Father, of the Father, in my name. Let's say, for instance, that I sent Pastor Marie Price, and I said, I want you to go to the bank. Here's my check. Here's whatever. You go, and, and here's, here's my legal power of attorney. You go and withdraw however much money for me. She's going to work with my money in my stead, as my representative. And he says, you come to the Father like you're me. Jesus sent me. I'm here in his name. Father, now this is bold. This is bold. You can't do this timidly. You have to know who you are. You have to know you are, you are in Christ. Father, I come as Jesus today. How do I do that? I come in his name. This is what Jesus once done in this situation. He left me in charge of his business and I have the legal authority, the power of attorney to, to deal with this situation. Jesus doesn't have to come down from heaven and deal with it because he put me here to deal with it. He put me in charge to see that his will is done I know clearly what his will is. And so in the name of Jesus, I call for this to change. I'm requiring this to change. I'm not offending God by talking that way. 
I'm honoring him. I'm honoring him. I'm not demanding of him to do something he doesn't want to do. I think that's where a lot of people hit the roadblock. That's where they find their obstacle. Because they're not sure yet if God wants that to happen. When we know the word, we know the will. If you've got the word, you've got the will. If he said it in his word, it is always God's will to heal. God heals. He heals the brokenhearted. Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And God is with us by the name. He said, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Before now, hitherto, have you asked nothing in my name, but ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Fullness of joy is connected to the use of the name. Fullness of joy is absent in the lives of too many believers because they're not exercising the authority in the name. They're not using the God-given privilege of the name that has been given to men to see rescue and liberty and restoration and, and financial wholeness and physical wholeness and emotional wholeness. All of that is in the name. The name has been given. Ask, require, demand, claim in my name and you shall receive so that your joy may be filled completely full. Hallelujah. That's what God wants for us. He wants our joy filled completely full. 